0: Welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today, I would like to introduce you to Julian Yang, who is doing a PhD in medieval history under the supervision of Dr. Richard Greenfield. Welcome to Grad Chat, Julian.
1: Nice to have you. Thank you.
0: Okay, so unfortunately, Julian's got a little bit of a cold. So his voice is a little husky today, but that's okay.
1: Well, thank you for bearing with me.
0: (laughs) This happens to us. We can't always have our normal voice. So Julian was really keen to come on today to talk about his research because as as mentioned he is in medieval history and let me just ask you this question before we actually go on to your research why medieval history for you
1: why medieval history that was the same question that one of the graduate advisors back in my home school asked me too and then um, there is an actually interesting story so I majored in classics and I studied classical greco-roman history and literature okay and um, I started stud- studying it without knowing that it is actually about greco-roman history right. I did not speak English at the time and I walked into to Dean's office, and all of a sudden, I'm a classics major. And <laughs> after graduating, I had either helped uh, help my family with their business, go to Canadian military, right. Or somehow try to educate myself more. And I thought, okay, why not grad school? Right. But to be a classical grad- graduate student, I had to be good in Greek and Latin, but I was weak in them. Right. So I looked for a supervisor who would find my background interesting, and I found Dr. Greenfield. And after looking at the time period it covers and the role of Byzantine Empire in making of our pre-modern history. I realize it is a very marginalized field and it is not it doesn't have as much brand awareness as much as the medieval western European history right or That's the classical point. history mm-hmm. and as a person who stopped following a band after it becomes popular I thought I gotta go I gotta there with that one and uh, then the, my supervisor researched on medieval demonology for his PhD uh, project and I, when I saw that I couldn't walk away right and I wanted to study medieval magic and demonology with my supervisor but then I ended up working on more holy stuff so, which is
0: a Great segue <laughs> in, into your research topic. I always find it fascinating of how people get to do a particular area of research because it's not always evident to us of why someone goes wants to be a chemical engineer or a uh, historian or political theorist or anything like that. There's so many different areas to go into and it always fascinates me why someone goes into a particular topic. Mine was
1: an accident more like a shotgun Marys but I'm happy with it.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay, so that, I was saying that. Segway into your research. So your research is constructing holiness and unholiness through writing and reflection of authorial motivation in Christian literary works produced in medieval Byzantium. Now, I was actually saying to Julian before we started this interview, when I was reading his synopsis, there was a lot of big words in there. And I don't mind big words, but I have to concentrate and really think hard about what some of those words were. And there was a lot there, but I know you're going to give me a bit of an overview of what your research okay. is all about.
1: So where should I start? From Byzantine Empire? Okay. So yes. Yeah, so Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's,
0: let's start there. So what is the Bi- Byzantine Empire?
1: So Byzantine Empire is actually a medieval version of ancient Roman Empire. Okay, its emperors and its citizens called identified themselves as Romans, mm-hmm. and they were identified by others around them by the Romans, even by the people who lived in Rome, Italy. And this empire was founded in three hundred and thirty by Constantine the Okay, after he founded the new capital of his empire in modern-day Istanbul and named it Constantinople, Constantinople, city right. of Constantine.
0: Yes, yeah. And, um, I, I always remember Constantinople. It was one of those big ones <laughs> in history you learn straight away. And,
1: um, <laughs> And after that, the empire ruled the Mediterranean as a superpower for a long time. But as history progressed, they lost their supremacy and they became consolidated into what we often, what we as Byzantines, often refer to as the Aegean basin, So right. than the Aegean Sea, the sea between Turkey and Greece, and that became their maritime sphere. And the empire endured many things, including the Fourth Crusade, which is a crusader conquering another Christian city, the Constantinople, right. and making it in their own. And the empire lasted until 1453, when the Ottomans came and conquered the city of Constantine and founded it as their new capital of the Muslim Empire. Right. So, this empire lasted longer than a thousand years, during for even official record, and despite its long, long history and its identity as a medieval Christian Roman Empire, the field has been marginalized for a long time until very recently in the 20th century when people started looking at it as not only as a, being a bulwark against the various non-Christian political powers invading into Europe. Right. That had been a traditional way of looking at the historical function of the Byzantine Empire. Oh, they stood there, they preserved everything for the Europeans until they couldn't hold it anymore. Right, right. But that that, that, that is up to a point true, but that neglects the entire point of Byzantine Empire being a topic of history in its own right.
0: Okay, so with that being said then, and give me a bit of an overview of what you're trying to show within this era.
1: Within this era. So I'm looking at a genre of literature which we call hagiography. Mm-hmm. Now hagiography literally means hagi, holy, and graphy. Uh, It's We re- often call it writing, but actually I would like to use the term authoring. Because, authoring, Because okay. the word authoring in Latin means taking authority over something. Okay. So, so hagiography includes not only the writing, but also drawing holy icons or making anything that's related to holy but I am looking at literary production uh, that are mostly created during the, between the 9th to the 11th century of the history of Byzantium to look at the religious landscape and also the fact that these religious literatures should be looked at as a historical source in their own right. Okay. And they are not just mere reflection of pre-modern religious practices.
0: So these this hagi- oh, hagiographers, I can can't say that word. <laughs> hagiographers, yeah. I read somewhere, actually you said, sometimes the possible motivations behind hagiographers was for promoting the cult of saints. And I guess this is where the holiness Comes into it But you also just said that It's not necessarily just in the written form There's other forms that they can look at Can you give me an example Of what other forms
1: uh, One that is very predominantly Used in Catholic Christianity And Orthodox Christianity are the holy images So that is icons So it is a a painted image Of a saint and other various things That may may be related to Their symbols, Right. for example the P.A. Peter, the apostle would have the key because he apparently had a key to the heaven according to the legend
0: okay and so that image would be somewhere in the painting in, in, in the
1: painting and okay they would, write, ident- they would often identify the person with their name too, like Saint Peter or whatnot okay because when we just look at the images it's really hard to tell who they are except for maybe the Virgin Mary because she's usually holding baby Jesus, Jesus in her arm
0: well the one when you talked about the Byzantine era and Constantinople which is now Istanbul of yeah. course and I was lucky to go and visit Istanbul and most tourists, I think, would go to Hagia Sophia. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of images in there that I understand would yeah. fall under this category of hagiography.
1: Right. They're more like visual image forms of hagiography. So they are not my my actual field. But they have, as I said, the images of the Virgin, the Virgin Mary and right. Baby Jesus indeed has... Other various holy figures, and also the emperors and empresses of, Byzant- of the Byzantine Empire, who made various contributions to the continuation of the Hagia Sophia, the great church founded in Constantinople. Right, yeah.
0: right, because that had many changes, but but of course that is not on, on paper or anything; it's in, yeah. in mosaics, isn't it? Because that. Yeah. The Hagia Sophia, just full of fantastic mosaics and things. Yeah,
1: that's the that's the idea. Because neither of us are fluent in medieval Greek, mm-hmm. but when we walk in there. It's fascinating. We, we know what they are. Yes, yes. As long as we are told who they are, we will be awed.
0: Exactly. So that is
1: one of the more like a popular, user-friendly version of hagiography. Yeah. But
0: so, yeah. so why can studying the history of medieval society and its religious landscape help us to understand our past better? Because you're looking at one little area here, or one era, which, yeah. as you say, went for a thousand years, but one era. Um, how can that help us?
1: Well, first of all, we often look at the ancient Roman Empire as as the foundation of modern constitution and political ideas and whatnot and the word senate that comes from the Roman Empire good point yes yeah, and, mm-hmm. um, but we and we often look at ancient Greece as the home of our modern day philosophy so the word idea the ideals that comes from Pla- the Plato's idea. And then we got Aristotle who talked about various, not only philosophy, history, but science as much as they understood and whatnot. And okay. do you also know that the first steam machine was invented in ancient Greece? No, I didn't. Yeah, and they also had a water vending machine and they did, just didn't use it because it was cooler and cheaper to use slaves to open the door and right. dispense the wine. Oh, now, clever was, little things, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> and the Byzantine Empire is the legitimate heir to these civilizations. Right, okay. And they Mm -hmm. were not small either. They at their prime they occupied the entirety of whatever land was around the Mediterranean, that includes North Africa, Egypt, Spain, Italy, Southern France, what else like Bulgaria, Croatia, modern day Turkey, Greece. Did I mention Syria? No. Nope. Okay, Syria and uh, what we now have to is the Holy Land, Jerusalem, the modern-day Israel, and everything was there. And how can we not look at it to understand our past better? Mm-hmm. And also, one thing that my supervisor, Dr. Greenfield, really emphasizes is the wrong usage of the word "crusade." Okay. And when we talk when we talk about history of the crusade, we cannot talk about it without covering the historical role of the Byzantine Empire. Okay. And right. Were right. Also Another example would be the one thing that really came across my mind was when I was doing my master's with my supervisor. And he told me, I, I was working on a tradition of healing and miracle in Byzantine uh, society. And he asked me, why aren't you using incubation? And I thought, and I didn't want to look stupid, so I just nodded and I would put that in my paper. But when, <laughs> I, I, did went home that when <laughs> I went home and realized, <laughs> what, what does he mean by incubation? <laughs> then I learned that the word incubation actually means to go to a temple, or shrine, or church, in the hope hope of being healed by its patron saint.
0: Okay. It's like modern right. day hospitalizing. Right, right.
1: Yeah. So those little things, they come from. From this era. Yeah. And also, like, how often do we not find the Christian in anywhere that we go? hmm Good point. Um, mm-hmm. Muslims or other Judeo-Christian faith. We find them no no matter where we go. And we nowadays live in harmony, and we do not discriminate on another person because of their religious belief. But it was one of the first cosmopolitan empires or a society that Western world has had for a long time. By looking at them, we'll find the problems that we're dealing right now. Right, yes. We should be learning
0: from what they did.
1: And not only the origin of these problems, Mm -hmm. but also how they dealt with it.
0: Right, and right. when we have a
1: thousand year long scenarios that we can look at, why not go back? They have court records, medical records, the mm-hmm. history, their popular literature. All we need to do is just edit them and hopefully translate them. If we can't, then we can just rely on someone who have worked on them to learn from their knowledge.
0: Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I just want to go back to your research topic because the big part that you're looking at is the holiness part yeah. or the saints. And what are you looking for in the in the saints? I mean, okay. Why do we want to promote these saints? Or why did these hagiographers want to promote sa- right. saints? Now, the first
1: answer for a long time had been that they were Christians, and these were medieval people. They didn't know what they were doing. So, since you were born a Christian and you're raised a Christian, you're basically writing biography of saints to use them as maybe educational purposes, or you're just doing that because it is a good thing. Okay. That has been the long time. To- that has been the a very traditional approach toward these religious literatures. But but as early as the early twentieth no the middle early twentieth century, people started to wonder about how to use these hagiographical works. And one idea that uh, famous professor Peter Brown came out with is the idea that cult of the saint. Okay. So, although you were Christian and you go to church and you accept Jesus Christ as your savior and the Holy Trinity and the Holy Father is your on, your only God and there are there is no other God, uh, they relied upon saints to intercede on their behalf. So basically, in order to be a saint, my definition of saint in the context of my paper is that saints are those who are believed to be. Chosen by God to function as his instrument on earth to work his miracles okay
0: so, so some of the apostles that would, would be
1: there there you in know a, in, a, in a very way you are putting them there to teach with Pat right so if you want to do good on the exam what do you do do you go to good students in your class and ask for their help, ask for their help? right and that's what the cult of the saint is about you pray to the saint to ask them to pray for them because they are closer to God than ordinary Christians. Okay, And okay. that is the core idea of the cult of the saints. But what I'm trying to argue in my project, and this is my lifetime goal, is that when the hagiographers wrote biographies or various stories about saints, commemorating their spiritual ideals was not the only intention.
0: Okay, what, what, what else was it?
1: One thing would be the political intention was definitely there. Okay. And financial idea was there too. So, for example. So, uh, you're
0: saying people were bribing them to.
1: I would, I would like to call it uh, sponsoring. Or, sponsoring. Or, uh, <laughs> That's very diplomatic. Yeah, <laughs> I think that is a good way. I love
0: it diplomatic.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sponsored to write a comment. So, for example, um, there is a saint named Simeon the New Theologian. So, this is a very popular thing in, in Orthodox Christianity and my supervisors have worked on his life. And during his life he was liked by no one.
0: Oh okay. <laughs> he was head
1: of the monastery and his monks did an open rebellion against him against him too. Okay. And he had political rivals and he was even exiled too. But after his death, one of his students who claimed to be his spiritual successor, named Nikitas katas Okay real life to commemorate him and turned every tr- trouble that he made into like a spiritual warfare that he had to go through to show that right. he was actually going through all that so that god can w- work great things with him in the later days of his life and this Nicetas succeeded okay.
0: so, so he's a bit fake though
1: oh he's a bit fake. because um, he,
0: he he changed history from something that from someone who was like you said not particularly liked And he made someone who wasn't particularly liked into a saint when that's really not true. And it was more to help himself to become that next person.
1: That is a good point, too, because he did benefit from being the successor of a tradition of saint. Mm -hmm. But I would be careful with calling him a fake saint, because if you put it that way, what is not fake in history?
0: Well, that's a good point. It's it's everyone's interpretation of history. That's what history is. It's someone's interpretation. And some things get put in and some things get left out for whatever reason.
1: Did you also notice that when I was talking about the foundation of the empire called the first emperor, Constantine the First, not Constantine the Great? Right. A lot of Christians look up to him as the first Roman emperor to uh, legalize Christianity and turn the ancient Roman Empire into a good Christian world. And th- thereafter, Europe and the Syria and modern day Turkey became the heartland of new Christians. Mm-hmm. But I don't call him constant in the great i just call him the constant in the first
0: but it was interesting this this example you gave that this this student had to create a saint in order for him to be able to officially have that kind of power yeah. as well so it, it's interesting that that person thought, yeah. okay well if i do this
1: and there's also skeptical part too i think mm. that's the the second point that we we're about to discuss too right but still in these hagiographical works it is okay let's even go back to bible if somebody works miracle or somebody claims himself to be the next prophet, what do others do? They don't just say, oh, he's the new chosen one. Let's go and help him to do God's work. No, their immediate reaction is always, I don't believe that guy. How do I know he's the chosen one?
0: Right. Yes. Good point. Okay, so let's come to the, your second question then. Uh-huh. So what do you mean by holy and unholy in the context of your project? Uh-huh. And how does your application of these terms help us to understand the religious and social landscape of the mediv- medieval world better?
1: Okay. So That's
0: a long, lot of questions <laughs> there.
1: So holy. <laughs> the concept of holy is, as I discussed earlier, so my definition of holy is someone or something that... I believe to be chosen by God to work his miracle on earth as a channel and instrument. Okay. And unholy, I think it's self-explanatory. Yep. But the problem is the distinction between holy and unholy is very fluid in, in medieval times. We can say, for example, um, I studied magical incantations and curses. Right. And the magical incantations that they used during the medieval period was was about the same as regular prayers that Christians would do. They would invoke the names of Virgin Mary or John the Apostle, right. Jesus Christ. They would pray so that they could invoke a spiritual being to help them to gain what they want. Okay. And another example would be if making someone sick, that is like a, a very normal form of curse that we can think of. Mm-hmm. But what if someone who is revered as a saint does the same to retaliate someone who's doing bad things to the Christians? Right. Is that holy or, holy or unholy? Right. At what point does it become a retrib- holy retribution or just someone being a jerk? Right. Good point. I'll give you another point. example. Um, so the same person, the same Indian the new, new Theologian, in his life, there's one person within his monastery who becomes very distressed because his son or grandson is passed away. And in order to deal with his stress, he puts on an act as a fool. So he starts doing crazy things so that other people would bully him. Okay. And when the saint learns about this, he says that, I am aware that he's faking his fullness, but I'm just going to let him do it because he is under a lot of stress. Right, right. Now that's workplace harassment. right. And um, it also, now we can learn one thing, A, in Byzantine society, if you see a fool or a crazy person, the immediate social reaction, a normal reaction, would be to go and bully that guy. And second, even though the people may know that the person is faking it as a way of dealing with his mental stress, people did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, is that holy? No. Why is it unholy? Because you shouldn't be bullying anybody. But he's a saint. He's chosen by God to work as a channel on Earth. Oh. Then everything that he did is holy. Isn't it? So that's kind of a. Yeah. That's 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 the that's where the skepticism comes in. Right. If you're a supporter, you say, oh, he's just doing that because he knew that the person was under under, under a lot of trust. But there were also people who said, that is not right. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time when the monks under his I <laughs> <last year> went, <laughs> went in a rebellion to overthrow him. So, <laughs> something like that. And then also, what we often forget is that the chronological distance between our time period and the medieval time period is actually shorter than the chronological distance between the medieval period and when Jesus Christ was actually active.
0: Okay, yes, good point. So, Mm
1: -hmm. even for them, the time of Jesus Christ was ancient. Right, right. So, of course, things will be skeptical. Although everyone were Christian, at least on the surface, if someone would like to imitate the sufferings of Jesus Christ, people's reaction would be, why would you do that?
0: So, are there, going back to these hagiographers, have you found a lot of examples from hagiographers about certain saints in this particular period? Has, has it been easy to find or is it really difficult?
1: It's actually very easy and that's why I specifically chose this time period because okay. the time period between 9th to the 11th century was the time when the Byzantine Empire was relatively uh, stable. Okay. And its religious identity and religious landscape became more consolidated as a Chalcedonian Orthodox Christianity. What do I mean by that? It is that they believe in the Holy Trinity and they believe the coexistence of divinity, a divine and, hum- and human within Jesus Christ at the same time, at equal portion. Okay. I'm trying to think that if that's right or not, but because we are stepping on a very difficult.
0: Oh, a difficult uh, era? Uh, yeah, yeah
1: theology. So, yeah,
0: but there is lots that you can look at. Oh, definitely, and then oh, because the do you get a chance to go over there to say? somewhere
1: in I really need some sponsorship you do
0: we need to get that we need to get that grant for yeah. you the travel grant so you yeah. can go over and well, the, the um, check it out. Doing
1: everything for me as I'm actually going to Korea this summer to present two papers over there
0: fantastic
1: yeah. and, and they're they doing everything they could to help me I'm very grateful
0: that's fantastic yeah. so in this period of time there would have been a lot of people who couldn't necessarily read and what was interesting in your analysis so far it doesn't actually have to always be on paper there is other ways of hagiographers down demonstrated these saints can you explain how that happened and and what did they do so that more people could understand about these saints
1: thank you very much that is a very good question so so in this time period as you said not many people could read and write Mm -hmm. being able to do those things was a privilege and as we talked earlier about Hagia Sophia in Istanbul although these hagiographies through the biographies of holy people were written on paper, that was not the only way that they could be consumed. Okay. So for example, if we go to a dinner party, there would be someone who would be reading a very popular bits from a very popular saint's life.
0: Okay, For right, example, a right. very
1: virgo example would be Saint Mary of Egypt. So, she is a fictional saint. She has no historical, there's no historical evidence to trace if she was actual a real person. Right. But she was one of the most famous saints of, of the entire medieval world, including not only the Byzantine, but the western part of the Mediterranean, and even medieval England too. And she was a prostitute from Alexandria who traveled to Jerusalem, met, experienced a whole version of Mary's Miracle, and she decided to abandon her profession. Right. <laughs> Went into the wilderness, lived 47 years until she passed away. Now, there are a lot of salacious details in her life. Right. And that would have been a very interesting piece to read, even in monastery, as people were using, yes, Just because of the entertaining aspect of it. And um, what we need to remember is that these saints were holy warriors in some way. So even reading for example there's a very uh, there's a thing named Elizabeth the Wonderworker her life is very short a couple pages and it's just about her slaying a dragon by oh. jumping over the dragon and making the sign of the cross in the air and the dragon dies that's the entire <laughs> life of her something <laughs> like that would be an amazing children's story yes a bedtime and story too so it would have been
0: verbalized as no, definitely.
1: and um, there are also a literary form of them for more educated Byzantines mm-hmm. and that's why i chose the 10th Century as one of my examples because one of the one of the key uh, historical targets of my project is someone called Simeon Metaphrastes And Metaphrastes means the one who redacted or translated. So what he did was he collected all the old hagiographies of the Christian world and he rewrote it in a cooler and more difficult form of Greek Ah. for a more elite audience. And he became a saint for that.
0: Right. So his in, so he was able to interpret what was done before and then make it, maybe embellish it a little bit?
1: Very for, much. For the elite? Oh, yes. And he took out something that could be too vulgar or too grotesque and he fielded it with entertainment aspect of a more upper class.
0: Okay, so it's almost verging yeah. on a playwright, isn't it? Yes, yes, coming, yeah. coming forward, and particularly if it's the message has been passed yeah. on orally, that they've fantasized it to a point yeah, in, and, into and, like and, a play.
1: In many all saints' lives, the author plays the role of the witness mm-hmm. and like sidekick in the story, right? As a way of saying that, hey, I knew the saint in person, and right. I've seen these. so you have to believe my story. There is the there is my authority as the author. But when the Simeon kicked in and rewrote these works, he took the authority of these original authors right. by not mentioning them at all, but maybe mentioning them as like a side character at the end. <laughs> so he claimed the authority of some of the works. Right. Now, something like this... He we-
0: would be caught for plagiarizing today. Oh,
1: I don't know. He's, he, he basically did the, like a reboot. Right. Okay. Like yes, yes that's, a good, that's a good word for it. That's not plagiarism. Mm-hmm. That's just he, him meeting up with the social demands at the time, and he was very, very successful.
0: Right. That's fascinating that you you was able to do that and not be considered plagiarism because oh, nope. he didn't he didn't um, mention those people whose works he took, yeah. which is well, no no.
1: He, he was not liked by the scholars for a long time because right. they thought that he destroyed the original story to make it his own. But in recent years, we've been re his historical contribution mm-hmm. to Byzantine, to understanding lands- the landscape and social landscape of Byzantium. And I am following the footsteps of the other scholars who have paved the, w- paved the way for the future generations.
0: Right. Oh, you got a lot of work there to yeah. do. Um, let me see. W- one last question, and we're going to run out of time. So, oh. so how can someone from a medieval Christian society be sceptical about the writings that describe the life of a holy person? And then uh, what kind of evidence and climate and you to believe that the medieval byzantines were not so credulous about those who are described to be holy or unholy
1: yes, the first answer would be as i've said earlier if somebody claims to be a saint the immediate reaction is i don't believe you right mm-hmm. and another example would be uh, there were people called stylites in byzantine time and what they did was they go up on a high pillar and just lived there oh okay and they would endure all kinds of climate harshness and Right. eat there, pray there, just to show that they are imitating the suffering of Jesus Christ. Or they would go into the wilderness. And this is like thousands of mm. years ago. In the wilderness, <laughs> for example, in Egypt, we had crocodiles. It was yes. dangerous to live out there. But yes. they went anyways. And in the early times, like 400 AD, people looked up to that. Wow, this person is amazing. He's actually imitating the life of Jesus Christ. Most of us he, would think they're a fool. They did that too. They did that too, <laughs> yeah. But there were some people who thought that's very cool.
0: But Going all, all out. Yeah. He's going all out to prove yeah. and, but and, and very, believe and even
1: the recent uh, recent as three hundred years later, maybe mm-hmm. like the seven hundreds, people start to say, well in the time of Jesus Christ, they maybe did that, but why would you do that now? Yes, haven't we learned
0: from what yeah, happened in the past? A,
1: you're just being a fool. Why would you mm-hmm. do that? And um, there is also a saint named St. Andrew the Holy Fool. And as I've said, he, this is the one who acted out as if he was a fool to imitate the sufferings of Jesus Christ by agitating other people to bully him. Now, Idiot. So that's what I was saying. That's what other people thought, mm-hmm. but the hagiographer claimed that he had met Andrew in person, right. and heard that he was actually very intelligent and he understood biblical ideas and this person had very good spiritual merits. Right. Now, if somebody writes a life of someone who was a crazy person in downtown, why would you believe that he is a saint? Yeah. But this hagiographer succeeded. Right. He ousted all the criticisms and he was able to make this person into a saint.
0: And it's almost like the hagiographer needs to be the one that becomes the saint because yeah. they've managed to turn the, the information around yeah. to make people like it.
1: My personal favorite example is someone called John Christodoulos of island of Patmos and this person founded a monastery on island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea and he essentially built a fortress around the monastery to protect it from whatever d- dangers they had at the right, time. Right. But there are things called rule in a monastery. So it's basically outlines the property of the monastery and the rules that you have to follow mm-hmm. to be a member of the monastery. But at the beginning of this rule, very interestingly, this is one of the unique cases, he wrote his own life in a way to look back at the troubles that he had to do. And he mentioned the things like, um, you someone would criticize me for letting non-monks to live on the island, but I only did that to help them with uh, various agricultural need we had instead of actually just living in a more lay life. Right, sense. right. And, and um, he also mentions that he received great patronage from the emperor at the time and his mother. He had a personal attendance to meet with the emperor and whatnot. And this is very reminiscent of how we, how you mentioned their sponsors at the beginning of the broadcast. He's saying that, oh, the emperor so-and-so did this for me and um, I'm very grateful. And this is how much he promised to pay every year. Right. So if you don't get paid, go after him. But... Another thing that I was very interested about is that when the emperor hears that he wants to find a new monastery on the island of Patmos, he says, why don't you go to the already founded monasteries and live there? Why would you want to start your own? It's going to be dangerous, it's going to be costly. Mm -hmm. So even the emperor, who was supposed to be the paragon of medieval Orthodox Christianity and who had to be the example of every co-religionist at the time, his first reaction to going into the wilderness and finding a new monastic community which, was a, which we would say a very Christian holy thing to do, his first reaction was, why would you do that?
0: Why would you do it? That's mm-hmm. not practical.
1: Are you insane? But he did it anyway, he did and it. he sponsored it. The stores are full. Good of old sponsors. The sponsors yeah. have a
0: lot to answer for on some of it.
1: Yeah. I wish I had one too. I am <laughs> yeah. mention the person every time I present the paper.
0: <laughs> so, Julian, we're going to have to stop there, unfortunately, but thank you very much for explaining to us what hagiographers are about the Byzantine area because it's obviously very very you're very very passionate about it and, yeah. it's, and it's obviously a fascinating period of time in our in our history and like you said we can learn a lot from that era so I appreciate you coming on and yeah. telling us about that
1: thank you to the history department of Queen's history I am offered to teach the course that I designed at 4th year level next year oh great and it is titled the holy and unholy of medieval Byzantine empire so if you're interested in learning more about this period and Fantastic. The various things that we talked about today please join the class
0: and you'll have one very passionate lecturer there doing that oh, so, so sign up for it so that's it everyone another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can and download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcast or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.